0: This being Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, I've entitled the message today, The Gospel and Life. I don't think it's possible to be passionate about the gospel and dispassionate about life. If we are truly passionate about the gospel, we have to be passionate about life. Now I know there are some people who are passionate about life and maybe not so passionate about the gospel, but those who are passionate about life and not passionate about the gospel are only concerned about life here and now. Those of us who understand that there's life beyond the grave and the gospel addresses that will be concerned about every life. For the believer, human life has to be... Now it's going to start skipping again on me. Human life is to be viewed through the lens of the gospel. If we only look at life apart from the gospel, we are not going to have a clear picture of human life. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to what? Life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence god's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness so the gospel addresses every issue of life now we have seen in our culture today people who want to talk about abortion or euthanasia or human trafficking or the drug problem or the alcohol problem apart from the gospel And they make it a political issue, a moral issue, but the problem is it's a gospel issue. Every issue that we deal with in life is a gospel issue. And the reason we have these issues is because we have turned our back on God and therefore we have a problem in our culture. But God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He said, I am come in John 10.10 that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. No one comes to him except through the Father. So it's all about life. And then he tells us in Acts 3.15 that we have killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So what is the purpose of life that God has given us? Well, I think it's here. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That is the purpose of our life, that we bring glory to God. And that means everything about the gospel and the people that we see and rub shoulders with. So I want to take a moment and I want us to look at the biblical context of the passages that we're going to look at in light of the overall biblical story So I want to start in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, he says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he starts off saying, Let us make man in our image. Notice the plurality. He says, Let us make man in our image. Now, different commentators suggest why that is. Some people say that, God was, had a heavenly council, and he's counseling with angels and they're deciding together about making man in his image. Well, that doesn't quite fit the context here. I think it really is more talking about the plurality of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in counsel together said let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then it says that he created man in his own image. You might want to circle or underline that word image. And then he says in the image of God he created him, male and female. So here's the question, and then he says in verse 28, he God blesses them, and what is the command? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So here's the question. Why would God want the earth to be full of his image bearers? We are the image of God, so we are bearers of his image. Why does God want the earth to be full of his image bearers? Because an image is the reflection of the one it represents. To be made in the image and likeness of God is to be a visible representative of the invisible God. And when we represent God in that way, we are representing his character. That's the purpose of the gospel, that we become Christ-like, that we represent Christ to the world. And so the gospel and life have everything to do with each other. God wants his character to be seen, he wants the world to be filled with his glory, And so he tells man to be fruitful and multiply. This brings serious implications when we then begin to look at the issues in light of the gospel. For instance, let's think about the baby in the womb. To keep a baby from being born is to rob God of the glory he deserves from that child. Does that have anything to do with a woman's rights? No. We're looking at it from a gospel perspective, from a God perspective. So when we talk about this politically, we got it all backwards because we're approaching it from the wrong vantage point, the wrong lens. Human life is to be viewed through the lens of the gospel. So to keep a baby from being born is to rob God of the glory he deserves from that child. In Genesis chapter 2, the first man and woman are placed in the garden. And they're given one prohibition to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if they transgress and eat the fruit, they will surely die. And what does Adam and Eve do? They eat of the fruit that show evidence of spiritual death. They hide from God and they refuse to answer his questions, shifting blame away from themselves. Now listen carefully. God tells the serpent that he will have ongoing conflict with the woman and her, what, seed. And the seed of the woman will bruise his head. Here, God makes a promise that their descendant will overcome the one who introduced evil into his good world. The message of redemption is critical for his image bearers. Sin came as a result of man's disobedience, but redemption of mankind will come at the most fundamental level because God in his mercy will allow a man and a woman to have a child. This means the whole story of redemption hinges what? On the birth of a baby. Talk about sanctity of life. God chooses to introduce Jesus Christ into the world through conception of a baby. Does God care about the baby in the womb? I think so. He does. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and what happens after Jesus is born? Herod is trying to kill all the babies. God protected Jesus... And Jesus brought salvation. So from this biblical story, and I would commend to you a little book called The Gospel and Abortion. And here's a couple um, assertions that are made in that book. The God of the Bible is the champion of children. The God of the Bible is the champion of children. And secondly... Every attempt, then, to kill a baby is fundamentally satanic. Why? Because it is an attack on the image bearers of God. How many people talk about that in the news? Attack on the image bearers of God. Because the baby Jesus was born, the Bible teaches that the injustice of abortion will not prevail. But because the baby Jesus was born also... There's hope for every woman who has ended the life of her unborn child. I want you to know that there's hope in the gospel. There is hope for every man who has ever pressured a woman to do so. And there is hope for every medical worker engaged in this satanic enterprise of putting babies to death. The blood, listen, the blood of Jesus Christ makes forgiveness possible. That's a wonderful thing. That's why the gospel and life make so much sense. When, 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 When somebody has taken a life, whether intentionally or unintentionally, God forgives. He grants forgiveness. He grants healing. The Bible says he sent forth his word and he healed them. The healing comes through the word of God. And that's why the gospel and life are so intertwined. Let's consider for a moment in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, verses 39 to 44, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to visit Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Something interesting happens inside of Elizabeth, who is expecting a child. Elizabeth tells Mary, When the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped inside of me for joy. This would indicate that the womb, the baby in the womb, is capable of joy. We have known for some time that babies can feel pain, but this passage shows us that babies can experience joy. This would indicate that that child inside that mother's womb is not just a fetus, but it is an individual with personhood. God regards the child in the womb as a human life. If God knows people prior to their being formed in the womb, and if God is the one who forms them in the womb, then surely we are dealing with human beings made in the image of God in the womb. The gospel and abortion they make this statement. Abortion is a savage, brutal, unjust interruption Of God's work of bringing about life. As God is working to create that child in the womb, abortion circumvents this good work. In the place of new life, abortion introduces death. God is all about life. The second aspect we want to look at this morning, I don't know why that's so small human life is sacred. Because we are made in God's image, we saw this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 26. We are made in the image of God. James Montgomery Boyce suggests three ways we're made in the image of God. Now, when you look at different commentaries, there really is no definitive way to say what is the image of God? What does it mean to be made in his likeness? We have ideas, but can we definitively say? I think we have some suggestions that we'll throw out that I think we can relate to. The first one is personality. Intellect, will, emotions, we all have that, so does God. Intellect, emotions, and will. Personality means we have knowledge, feelings, and a will. Now, some of us have a lot more knowledge than others. This past week, I was watching Jeopardy. I don't know if you guys got to see it. They had this special... uh, shows on Jeopardy! and they had the three champions of champions as it were and they wanted to see who was going to be the GOAT. You know what the GOAT is, right? The greatest of all time, GOAT. Well, Ken Jennings won a million dollars and I don't know, I might have answered maybe two questions (laughs) out of I don't know how many shows. I mean, it was just phenomenal. I'm like, how can they possibly? I said, if I could read for 12 hours a day, I don't know how many years it would take and I still wouldn't retain what this man retained. It's amazing. God has just gifted certain people to do that. But we all have this personality and we all have different personalities and God has used them to promote the gospel, to bring together a church, a body of believers and use those personalities who are all made in the image of God who have different passions, likes, talents, gifts, abilities and yet God uses it all but here's a difference. Animals have personality, but not like humans. And I know some of you say, you haven't met my dog. Well, that's okay. Um, animals can't reason like humans. While animals can reproduce, they don't have the capacity to love like humans. Animals also do not have the capacity to worship like Humans. So God has given us a capacity in our personality to worship and respond to God in a way that animals cannot. I was reminded that we had a dog that severely tested my sanctification. I mean, that dog, this was in Virginia, he refused to go to the bathroom outside in the wintertime. And it's not even cold in the winter in Virginia. I don't know what he would have done here. He would have been killed. That's what would have happened. He'd have been killed. Um... He just absolutely could not be potty trained. I should have put a diaper on him because he was just bad. But personality. We ended up having to get rid of the dog, but that's another story. We did, I didn't kill him. I didn't shoot him. All right, let's go on. Number two. The second aspect in the way that we are made in the image of God is we have morality. God has morals to him. He has a moral law. To govern his universe. This includes freedom and responsibility, but not without any restrictions. Now, God does give us freedom of will to choose whatever we want. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God in the garden, eat fruit from the tree, but with with that freedom that they chose, they faced what? Consequences. So, yes, we have the freedom to choose to disobey God even, But with that, there are consequences that we will face. God gave them the freedom to disobey, but it brought consequences. But there's another important aspect in this morality aspect. This shows that we can receive moral instructions and choose to obey or disobey. We have that capacity as humans. God has given that to us. He gave moral instruction. They disobeyed that moral instruction. So that's important to know. And what is God's desire for us, that we would put on the new self, according to Colossians 3.10, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And then he tells us in Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's God's desire for us, to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, He tells us in Genesis 2:16, the Lord commanded the man saying, "You may surely eat of every tree of the garden." In other words, you have freedom to do that, but he says, "Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat." For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God put a restriction on it. So some people have this idea that they're autonomous. They can do whatever they want. Well, there's a truth to that, but there's also a truth that there's a consequence when you choose to live autonomously from the Lord. Because God has given us that morality. Thirdly, there's spirituality. That we are made for communion with God. John four twenty four says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now we learn a lot about what it means to be human from Adam and Eve. Kurt Strassner, in his uh, book, Opening Up Genesis, suggests four traits of humanity. Let's look at them just briefly. Four traits of humanity. The first one is dignity. If man is created in the image of God... No one has the right to degrade or destroy human life, neither one's own life nor that of another. The principle must be applied also in social justice, race relations, sexual ethics, abortion, euthanasia, and many other topics. We should have a high respect for life, the physically sick, the terminally ill, We have a great number of people in our culture today who are dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's, the elderly who are unable to get out, children who've been abandoned by their parents, either physically or emotionally, support for single parents who have children that need help, support, encouragement. We have scores of people who are abusing their life through alcohol, illegal drugs, human trafficking. When you look at all of these issues, it goes back to the gospel is the answer, though. The gospel is the one that brings hope, that brings healing, that brings deliverance, that brings what people need to give them dignity in their life. We have dignity. We need to recognize that. And, you know, it's a reminder, too, for young people. When you see older people who have physical ailments and struggles, rather than mocking them or making fun of them, you should be respecting them because they, that is life. And if God allows you to live long enough, it'll be you one day or me one day. And it would be a good opportunity for parents to take your kids to the nursing home. Visit. We used to hold services in the nursing home with our single adults when I was a single adult pastor in Virginia. We would go once a month and we would, we would sing, we would go and interact with the, the, the people and I'll never forget one lady. She was a sweet old lady and when I walked up to her and I was like, what's your name, you know, and my name is Ruth with a rubber tooth. I don't know why she said that but I never forgot her name after that. <laughs> Ruth with a rubber tooth. Um, that's just who she was. And, um, but the dignity... And, you know, so many young people are afraid when they see uh, wheelchairs and walkers. And and when you go into a nursing home, that's what you see. But it would be good for your kids to be exposed to that. And visit some of the people who used to be faithful right here in these pews. Would be a great encouragement to them. Well, let's move on. Next, maybe it's not going to move on, dominion. That's... Dominion is the second one. We are to rule over the other created beings, subdue the earth. God has given us dominion over the plants and the animals. We have dominion. We can chop down trees, we can build buildings, all these things we can do. Thirdly is distinction. Male and female, he created them. And notice how that is under attack in our culture. But again, gospel and life make sense when we look at it through the lens of Scripture. So there's distinction. Male and female, he created them. The genders have separate names, showing they were created separately. One is even called a helper for the other. They are created equal in the image of God, but their roles are clearly distinct. And what does our culture try to do? Erase that. Because why? We're made in the image of God, and it's an attack against the very character and the image of God. Four is duty. Duty. Notice the first thing God did after creating Adam and Eve was to bless them. He gave them a command, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That is the duty of man that we are to do that. Man is dependent upon God for the blessings of life and we know from the Old Testament that there were times when God closed the womb of a woman and it was only through the blessing of God that that woman was able to have fruit in childbearing. And we know in our culture there's a lot of people that aren't aren't able to have children for one reason or another and I'm not saying it's God's curse on you or anything else it's 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 difficult but God has a plan and a purpose and we have to trust him in it he is the one who controls that life and if God has blessed you with children you need to thank God for every child you have in the image of God and grandchildren what a blessing and a heritage from the Lord Well, the third one I want to look at here is God fashioned us by and for his eternal plan. He fashioned us by and for his eternal plan. So this has everything to do with the gospel. Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 1, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were created, born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He says, before I formed you in the womb. This tells us that the development of the child in the womb is the work of God. And it was so important he did not delegate it to someone else. He was not so busy running the universe that he thought he didn't have time to create you and you were a burden to his already busy schedule. Think about that, that God superintended watch over every one of our births in our mother's womb. That to me is phenomenal. Phenomenal. He formed me. He shaped me exactly the way he wanted me to be. Exactly the way he wanted me to be. He formed me at a particular time in history. He allowed me to be born at a particular place in the world. Think of where else I could have been born India, where 20 some thousand people lose their lives every day, many because they're malnourished. God allowed us to be born where we are with our ethnicity, our parents, our family, our siblings, our experiences good and bad, joyful and sorrowful, pleasant and painful. God has allowed all of those. And there are t- yes, there are times in my life I wonder, God, why are you allowing me to go through this? <laughs> and yet he is sovereign. He sovereignly brought us into this world. And we will live out the days that he gives us. He says... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Think about that. Before you were even a twinkle in your parents' eye, he knew you. you were con- before you were conceived. He knew us before our parents were married or even knew each other. It's amazing. He also told Jeremiah, I po- appointed you a prophet to the nations. What does this tell us? that God determined Jeremiah's life work. Jeremiah didn't wake up one morning and say, you know, I think I'd like to be a prophet. (laughs) No, he was called a prophet before he even existed. And the work that God has called you to, maybe you don't always love every day of your work, but understand this, if you are in that job and God has you there, you should rejoice in it and make the most of it. And yes, there are people that rub you the wrong way, but they are people who need the gospel. And God has you there for such a time as this to rejoice in that and seek to reach them. He tells us in Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, "'You formed my inward parts. "'You knitted me together in my mother's womb. "'I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. "'Wonderful are your works. "'My soul knows it very well. "'My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret.'" intricately woven in the depths of the earth. All his days were written in God's book when none of them had yet come to be, when his substance was yet unformed. That's what God did. He tells us in the book of Job, your hands fashioned and made me. You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. They say if you lay your blood vessels end-to-end in an average human body, it will stretch approximately just 62,000 miles. The heart beats about 3 billion times during an average lifetime, and it beats about 100,000 times each day. One drop of blood contains half a drop of plasma, five million red blood cells, 10,000 white cells, and 250,000 platelets in one drop of blood. Are we wonderfully made? Each nerve is a bundle of hundreds of thousands of neurons. In our lungs, we have about 300 million air sacs in each lung And only about 33 gallons of fluid pass through your kidneys every day. And God has a personal, comprehensive knowledge of our life. The formation of a human being in the womb is the work of God. So what are some things we should keep in mind to take away? Number one, thank God For his creation of human life. And more specifically, thank God for his creation of your life. There are a lot of people who put themselves down. I do occasionally. I think we all do. But you know what? We're born in the image of God. We're made in the image of God to fulfill his purposes for our life. Thank him. Maybe take time and stop and look at your fingerprints. You're the only one with those. You're the only one that is you, that has your DNA, that has your makeup. Thank God for his creation of you. Thank God for his creation of your spouse, if you're married, your children, your grandchildren. Let's take time to stop and thank him for every image bearer, in, even in the body of Christ. We have one another. This is a, this is a, a quilt, as it were, a tapestry of God's beauty, in life that he's given to us the creation of life is to promote the glory of God there's no accidents fertilization in the womb is God's doing and secondly make the most of every opportunity time is short invest in other people's lives I mentioned about going to the nursing home I'm serious about that Maybe schedule a time for you and your family to go in and visit somebody from our church to be an encouragement, to pray with them, to interact with them, and to encourage them. It'd be a wonderful thing. Maybe there's a single parent in our church, and you know they are a single parent. They work. They try to keep family, house, children, everything together. That's a tall order. Come alongside of them and encourage them. See how you can be a help to them. Thirdly, pray about a sponsorship or adoption. On Friday, when we show the movie Beautifully Broken, there's going to be an opportunity to become a sponsor for a Compassionate International child. Maybe this would be a way you could support a child and begin to pray for that child and make them a part of your family even though they're many miles away. Or maybe even God would lay it on your heart to adopt a child into your family if you're in that stage of life. The phenomenal philanthropist Andrew Carnegie desperately wanted more life. He felt he could make a lasting contribution to society if he had 10 more years. He offered $200 million for another decade That's $54,794 a day, $38 a minute, but no one could accommodate him. Let's bow for a word of prayer. As you do, perhaps you work with someone or you know someone in the marketplace. When you think about the gospel in life, when you think about the situations in our world, there are many. We have not just issues with abortion, but we have issues with human trafficking. We have issues with Alzheimer's, dementia, the elderly. There are so many terminal illness so many things that attack life, and God wants us to interact with them with the gospel. And so I would just ask you to pray as an individual, to pray as a family and say, God, how do you, how do you want me to interact? How can the gospel and life, my life, intersect with someone that needs to hear the truth? And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Jesus died on the cross for your sin and shed his blood. And if you're here this morning and you, 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 you had faced the horrible consequences of a horrible decision, just know this, the blood of Jesus Christ forgives of all and every sin. And he removes the sin as far as the east is from the west the Bible says. And he holds that sin against us no more. It is buried in the sea of his forgetfulness. And that's where you need to place it too, in the sea of forgetfulness, in the sea of forgiveness. God is a forgiving God. He's a loving God. For those who come to him, he will in no wise cast out. May God help us to be passionate about life and passionate about the gospel. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is Bethesdamb.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.